Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Dr. Terry Walls is a functional medicine doctor, clinical professor, MBG class instructor, and a survivor of progressive multiple sclerosis who used her own protocol to heal. She is the authority when it comes to MS and autoimmune, and I'm so excited for the updated version of her best-selling book, The Walls Protocol. Terry, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. It is so great to see you, one of our favorite people and one of our favorite talks from our first Revitalize in 2014. It is such an honor to have you here. I'm so glad to be back with you again. So you have an incredible personal health story. So Mm -hmm. let's start there. Yeah, you know, so I'm a conventional internal medicine doc, uh, very much into the latest, newest drugs. Uh, and then um, in 2000, I started having problems with my uh, left leg, uh, got evaluated with a spinal tap and MRI, and diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Uh, and, you know, in, in retrospect, it was during medical school, I'd had episodes of face pain. That was probably trigeminal neuralgia. And 13 years earlier, I had an episode of uh, dim vision in my left eye. Uh, and I knew I wanted to treat my disease very aggressively, so I sought out uh, one of the best MS centers doing clinical research uh, and saw their best people, took the newest drugs, and went relentlessly downhill. Uh, within three years, I needed a tilt reclined wheelchair. Uh, I took mitoxantrone, then I took Tizabri, the new powerful biologic, continued to relentlessly go downhill. Uh, and uh, I, at that time, I was told about Lauren Cordain and the paleo diet. I adopted that, continued to go downhill. <laughs> I added uh, supplements. Uh, I continued to go downhill, um, although I did figure out if I didn't take my supplements, my fatigue was even more severe. By 2007, so just seven years into my diagnosis, I'm beginning to have brain fog. My trigeminal neuralgia is so severe. Uh, I, I'm beginning to think that uh, I'm, I haven't been come to terms with becoming bedridden demented, and quite possibly intractable uh, pain. Uh, but that uh, summer, I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine. I take their course on neuroprotection. I have a longer list of supplements, um, which I add. Uh, and then I have a really big aha moment, like, you know, what if I redesign my paleo diet in this very specific way? And I do that, uh, and I go back to meditating. I've worked with my physical therapist to add in some uh, more intensive physical therapy. And then to my amazement, you know, this gets me out of my wheelchair. Uh, and uh, 12 months later, in fact, I'm able to do an 18.5-mile bike ride. So this changes how I think about disease and health. It changes the way I practice medicine. I, and, uh, of course, I, it would ultimately change the type of research that I do. Wow. So in that time frame, you go from wheelchair to 18-and-a-half-mile bike ride. And it's four years in a wheelchair. Not only in a wheelchair, I can't sit up in a regular chair like you, I, you and I are right now. Wow. So in that process, you develop the, the now infamous WALS protocol. Yeah, yeah. And so can you explain to people what the WALS protocol consisted of? So this was really a, a very thoughtful diet and lifestyle program designed very specifically for my brain. Uh, so I, uh, I have a very specific uh, way of eating, uh, uh, maximizing vegetables, greens, sulfur, uh, containing vegetables and deeply colored, uh, good sources of protein, uh, good sources of omega-3, omega-6 fats, 
uh, and then uh, we added in fermented foods uh, and a, a stress-reducing pro program, and then a very uh, a structured physical therapy uh, exercise program. So it's really designed very specifically for my brain. Uh, and it, you know, of course, it has dramatic impact for me. Uh, and then ultimately, I would say that it has dramatic impact in my primary care clinic, in the uh, folks with ob obesity, diabetes, heart disease, uh, they're all getting better. Their diseases are stabilizing and regressing. Uh, the other folks with other autoimmune diseases, rheumatoid arthritis, systemic lupus, fibromyalgia, those things are stabilizing and regressing. In the traumatic brain injury clinic, those folks, you could tell who I saw and who I didn't see because the folks I saw, you know, their headaches went away, their irritability went away, uh, and they were still having their jobs. They were still having their families when they came back to see me. Uh, and those who saw the other folks in the traumatic brain injury clinic, they had lost their families, lost their jobs, and were uh, far more disabled. Wow. And it's 2019, so you still feel great. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I feel uh, just fabulous. I bike to work, so I bike five miles to work, five miles home. I can do 20-mile bike rides uh, with my family. I'm, I'm walking. I'm hiking. Um, I'm writing uh, papers. Uh, we're doing more research. You know, when when I uh, first was talking about this um, it, with my recovery in 2009, you know, I got uh, banned by the MS Society for creating false hope. And a lot of neurologists were very, very concerned that I'm out there talking about the importance of diet. Um, but now in 2019, you know, I, I have a, a huge grant funded by the MS Society. Uh, and uh, we have many more papers that are out. Uh, um, our papers are mentioned. We're included in meta-analyses, uh, and we're, we're presenting at national MS meetings. So I've gone from banned to brilliant. Wow. So that, that is so powerful, if you think about it. Pre-you, pre-Terry pre Walls, you were diagnosed yes. with MS. It was, sorry, not much yeah. we can... Well, they, they, they were doing stuff, costing me tens of thousands of dollars right. every month, and I was going relentlessly downhill. Um, and now I, I've been off all disease-modifying drugs since 2008. Um, and, you know, I feel great. Uh, people tell me that I keep looking younger and younger. Uh, my kids are sort of laughing, saying I'm doing a Benjamin uh, Button kind of thing, because uh, I keep looking younger and younger. Uh, I keep getting stronger. I keep uh, being able to bike farther, lift more weights. Um, so um, biologically, it would appear that my cells are continuing to youthen. Wow. Such a powerful story of the power of nutrition, lifestyle. Yeah, you know, um, we have accepted this very rapid decline, degeneration, rapid aging as a uh, standard uh, process. Um, and what I see in my clinics uh, is that that's a very artificial process, a, a byproduct of the uh, disease-promoting habits and lifestyles uh, to which all many of us are addicted. Uh, but if we go back to eating uh, and living the way our DNA expects, um, a, a much more nutrient-dense diet, uh, inter a more uh, uh, appropriate social interaction, social bonding, and physical activity that we have to do, um, then, in fact, we have normal aging, which looks like all, to all the world, is that uh, we look like we're youthening because we have strong, vigorous bodies into our 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Uh, we don't have to have a body that breaks down at age 40. 
So where is the science today with regards to long, healthy aging, if you will, and how has it evolved and what, what has you so excited about recent developments? Well, you know, we're, we're really, um, I, I like the work of uh, Walter Longo. Uh, he's done some uh, sure. very fun work looking at uh, the animal models for aging. Uh, and it's uh, quite clear w uh, we do very well when we have some elements of nutrient deprivation, at least intermittently. That if we have periods where we don't have enough calories, either all of the time, so uh, caloric restriction, um, or intermittently, we don't have enough calories, our, our, our bodies go into a repair mode. Uh, and so that is a very powerful anti-aging strategy. If we look at single cellular organisms, yeast, it's very, very powerful. If you look at primitive organisms, worms and flies, very powerful. If you look at primates, very, very powerful. And then if you look at the human models, um, it, we can change a lot of our cellular uh, chemistry and physiology uh, in very potent anti-aging strategies. So I, you know, I, I'm um, very uh, impressed with this. And so I, I've, I've tried a variety of things. I, I've done ketogenic diets. I've done uh, time-restricted feeding, intermittent fasting, periodic fasting. I've done all of those things uh, for myself. Um, and I, they're certainly very powerful. And so I'll start with the first one, intermittent fasting. Are there certain, uh, some people swear by 16-8, some people swear by 18-6, some people say you just need 12, like, and then there's Walter's method, which is a little bit different. What have you seen there? Well, um, I, I like to think about things in a very simplistic fashion. You know, our ancestral mothers and fathers, thousands of generations ago, had food as an intermittent activity. When the hunt was good, you had food. And then you <laughs> ate it all up, and then you had to go out and hunt again. And you had to, uh, so intermittently, we'd have plenty of food, and intermittently, we did not. Uh, now, fortunately for us, our mitochondria are really good at managing with either fat, that is no food at all, we just have to burn our own body, or meat, if we had a good hunt and we have plenty of meat, or uh, that we have a, a lot of carbohydrates uh, and not so much meat, which gave us a lot of uh, advantage for surviving uh, a whole host of environments. What we only very recently had was ready supply to food, and that appears to be very inflammatory. Uh, and really accelerates uh, uh, altered uh, physiology. Uh, it accelerates uh, aging, uh, increases the rates of uh, autoimmune disease and probably obesity, diabetes, heart disease, uh, dementia, and cancers. So uh, to that end, I, I think however you want to structure your intermittent reduction in calories and reduction in access to food, uh, is probably best according to what works into your daily life. Mm -hmm. and so if for your family, <laughs> it works best to do this in a uh, uh, 8, 12, 8, 16, uh, I think that's fine. If it's better to just reduce your calories two days a week, that's fine. If it's better to uh, just have reduced, do a periodic fast uh, and eat uh, water only for a day or two days, uh, as part of your religious practices, that also has tremendous health benefits. I like that. Figure out a way to work it in your life that, that works for you. It works for you and your family. <laughs> you want to be, whatever you do, it has to be sure that your, your family's on board with it. Sure. So, it would be fun to go to family dinner and be like, sorry, 
Candy. Oh yeah. <laughs> so so as I experiment with myself, you know, I have to weigh in with my spouse, make sure that Jackie's uh, on board with it. And so we have these conversations, and and there's a negotiation as to um, what it is that we're going to do and what it is that I'm going to do. And get you want to be sure your family's on board with what you're doing. I love that. And what about ketosis? So again, ketosis uh, is really good. Um, it changes some of our physiology uh, in very helpful ways. It boosts uh, nerve growth factors for your brain, uh, uh, which is very protective. Uh, it's a great anti-memory um, loss, so pro-memory, pro-brain uh, cell to brain cell connection. However, when we're in ketosis, your body's also sending some very important signals saying, you know, there's not enough food here, uh, so it's probably not a good time to reproduce. However, if you're listening to this, this is not reliable birth control, ladies. So <laughs> don't don't count on that for birth control. But it will it will change the uh, sex hormones, uh, and it will also change your thyroid hormones. So you'll be in a little more of a quasi-hibernation state. Um, and that will help you uh, for short-term survivorship. But for long-term health, um, I'm not sure how beneficial ketosis is. Uh, there are certainly clinical circumstances where I will definitely put someone in ketosis and I may leave them in mm -hmm. that for the rest of their life. In general, um, I, I think, again, thinking about this from an ancestral perspective, we have been, at, as soon as we left Africa, we got to experience winter, we've been in ketosis intermittently for every winter, and whenever there was a war or a famine, and then when the crops or the rain came back or the hunt was good or the war was over, we got to eat again. Uh, and so I think we're well adapted to intermittent ketosis. I don't think we're well adapted to have the signaling that there's not enough nutrition and that we're starving for the rest of our lives mm -hmm. and to maintain good health. Again, that's yeah. a very simplistic yeah. way of thinking about things. Uh, but um, I, when I look at our... Um, traditional hunter-gatherer societies, the Arctic folks, which are the people that my ketogenic friends will point to as uh, these are uh, good examples of ketogenic living. They have a genetic mutation that does not put them in ketosis in a high-fat diet. Hmm. So they're not really, they are an example of a society that does very well on a high-fat diet, but they're not an example of long-term ketogenic living. Interesting. I, it, it, it's very interesting, and one of the things, personally, what I think, for what it's worth, I, I think keto is definitely very big right now, and I, mm -hmm. I think what'll, and exactly what you said, I think for for certain people, certain extreme health circumstances could be very effective, but chronic keto can become problematic. Yeah, I, I think chronic keto uh, is likely to have uh, some health consequences. Yeah, and you have to be very, very mindful of how you do ketosis uh, long term to stay nutrient dense. Just like my vegetarian and vegan friends, you can do that and be in good health, but you have to do that in a very careful way so you don't uh, create some nutritional depletions. Mm -hmm. And my keto, my paleo friends, the carnivores, uh, you can have good health as a carnivore, but then again, you have some trade offs with uh, mammalian targeted rampamycin that can that may increase your risk for some other health consequences. So whatever strategy that we have, there, there will always be trade-offs. So you mentioned you got your paleo friends, your vegan friends, your carnivore friends. H how would you describe the way you eat? And for example, like what, what's a day in the life of, of, of Terry? 
Okay, so right now um, I'm doing uh, one meal a day. Uh, so I'll get up uh, and I'll do my workout meditation, uh, which, by the way, takes me about two hours to two and a half hours. Uh, and then I have a sauna in there and I'm having green tea and some detox tea. And then I'll drink water all day long. In the evening, I'll have a huge uh, green salad. Uh, and then I'll have my protein source. Uh, uh, most recently, we just had a, a lovely uh, lamb. Then uh, some Brussels sprouts are coming in right now. So I've been mm -hmm. having lots of Brussels sprouts uh, and garlic with that. And then I'll have a high fat kind of uh, dessert uh, called my uh, membrane pudding. Uh, <laughs> and then I'll have a, because uh, it's good for my membranes, you see. And then I have uh, berries, uh, and a lot of aronia, blackberry, uh, blueberries with that. Uh, so, uh, and then uh, I'll have a little uh, part of 90% uh, uh, ultra dark chocolate uh, to top things off and some chamomile tea. Uh, and that's uh, my average day. So what's in the pudding? I have to ask. I'm intrigued. Membrane yeah. pudding. So uh, uh, phosphatidylcholine, uh, some uh, omega-3 fats uh, like uh, hemp oil or flax oil. Uh, and then uh, a bunch of inulin uh, powder. Yeah. And then I'll add uh, chia seed uh, in a um, probiotic capsule. So I'll make it in the morning and I'll let it ferment on the counter all day and I'll eat it in the evening. That sounds good. I'm yeah, it's actually, that. Yeah, it's quite good. <laughs> so you mentioned meditation. What role does stress play? You know, so in my clinical trials uh, and in my clinics, uh, we do a timeline of the person's health events uh, and uh, their symptoms and their major life events. And I'll tell you, the vast majority of folks uh, in the two years prior to the onset of their uh, big flare of their serious illness is a major serious life stressor. Uh, occasionally, uh, toxic, toxic exposures are the trigger. Occasionally, an infection is the trigger. But I would say 80 to 90% of the time, it's severe stress. Wow. So I always say it, you can't make stress go away, but you can learn how to manage it. What, what do you think are the best techniques yeah. to help manage? Um, well, and I do want to point out to everyone, if we have no stress, that's a, that's a really big problem, too. Because if we don't have stress... <laughs> My bones dissolve. If I don't have stress, my muscles dissolve. If I don't have the stress of having to learn and pay attention to my environment, my brain atrophies. What I can't do is have relentless stress, either on my bones, my muscles, or my brain. So I need to have some periods of stress and some periods of relaxation and repair. So you know, I like to talk about, uh, um, again, you want to find something that is meaningful you, for you and your spiritual beliefs, your religious beliefs. Uh, so it might be uh, hunting, fishing, time in the garden. It might be yoga or tai chi. It might be um, a writing a gratitude letter. Mm -hmm. It might be forgiving uh, the people uh, who harmed you uh, when you were a child. Um, so for each person, it's going to be a unique story of, what is the uh, most oppressive stress that they have? I love that. So one thing that stresses me out right now is Colleen and I have a almost three-year-old and a four-month-old, and we travel with them. Oh, it yeah. Is, it is <laughs> going through security, and then it's just, it, it's just, it's like, oh, God. Um, I get why people don't travel with little kids, but you travel quite mm -hmm. a bit, and I think travel trying to stay healthy, 
can be a struggle. Like, what, what oh, do you yeah. do when you travel, and what does that routine look like? So, um, uh, first thing I had to do, because uh, when I fly more, uh, there's more uh, toxic exposures during fly, so I had to uh, change my detox protocols to support better de- detoxification. I've also learned to fly with cabbage. So I have a head of cabbage, uh, always packed in my luggage. I slice it into rounds. I'm always stopped and searched. My luggage is always set, you know, uh, searched uh, for um, for my cabbage. Uh, and so uh, cabbage, uh, extra sulfur helps me detoxify. It lets me eat my nine cups of vegetables uh, every day, which is uh, really important to me. Nine cups. I nine love cups. it. Yeah, nine cups. I also uh, either have... Um, uh, organ meat uh, jerky that I've either made, or I bring organ meat capsules with me so I can have that organ meat uh, while I'm traveling. Uh, and then I have a, an extra uh, supplement protocol that I use on uh, flight days. What are, what's in? I'm curious. So it'll be for me extra uh, sulfur, uh, extra vitamin C, and curcumin. But again, I'll, I'll personalize that based on uh, the person's family history and their issues. Uh, in terms of what we need to do to be sure their detox pathways are at maximum capacity. Okay. So on the subject of, of stress and travel leads me to my next question, sleep. Yes. You know, um, things are so exciting for me. Uh, I, you know, I'm so excited about my research uh, and everything that's going on. I really have to work at meditating in the evening to quiet my mind and to stop thinking about the next new exciting project I've got going on. So uh, a mindful practice is very helpful. Uh, I, I also I can do some biofeedback. I have a couple of devices that I use uh, to further calm my mind. Uh, and you know, if I'm home, I like to take a ice bath. Uh, so this is exactly as it sounds. I fill the tub <laughs> with cold water. I dump in a bunch of blocks of uh, ice. I add in some um, uh, Dead Sea minerals. Uh, and I set my timer, and I read uh, 20 to 30 minutes uh, in that ice bath. Uh, and then Jackie says, honey, stay on your side of this bed with those cold legs. <laughs> uh, but w- when I do my ice bath, that, uh, re- that de- um, depresses your core temperature. It makes it uh, a shorter latency to sleep. Uh, you have a deeper sleep, and... The quality of my sleep is vastly better on the uh, days that I take my ice bath. Wow. And so what is some of the exciting research? There's a lot going on in your world. Like, oh, my God, it is so fun. Um, So uh, with the uh, uh, MS Society funded our lab to compare the low-fat swank diet to the Walls diet. Uh, And that we've completed all of our clinical visits. Uh, so we're now in the analysis uh, part. We're comparing the outcomes between these uh, two studies. Uh, and I won't get the results until everything has been uh, completed because I'm blinded to study assignment. Uh, but we'll probably be reporting that out in the fall of uh, 2020 or the spring of 2021, depending on how long the analysis takes. Another study that we are in the process of taking through our uh, institutional review board, and this this is so exciting. We're going to be, yeah, for people newly diagnosed with MS who've been offered disease-modifying drugs and have declined them because they want to use diet and lifestyle, we'll uh, enroll them, train them in the protocol, and compare them to a cohort of newly diagnosed MS patients receiving standard of care, taking disease-modifying drug therapy. Uh, and we're funding this study entirely through philanthropic gifts because 
Um, we, we need to show first with some pilot data that we're not harming anyone by not giving them drugs. Uh, so we're uh, doing this comparing uh, people who are not getting drugs and people who are getting drugs. Uh, and that will let us finally begin to answer, uh, can you get control of your serious autoimmune disease activity with diet and lifestyle alone? Uh, and if not, wh what is the level of harm? Uh, so that that's an incredibly exciting, innovative study that will change everything for the autoimmune patients uh, and really for the functional medicine and integrative medicine docs taking care of them. So what do you think we're going to be, if you could look into the you know, crystal ball, what do you think we're going to be talking about in five years with regards to MS? Well, what will happen is once I get that study uh, enrolled, uh, and we're able to show that people can get control of their disease or to what level they can control it without drugs. Then the next study will be taking uh, newly diagnosed MS patients who want to have a uh, diet and lifestyle. And then we would randomize them into those who have to wait a year to get drugs and those who don't and compare the two groups. And then we'll be able to show, do drugs add much or not? Because uh, if it, that study, if I can show that the drugs don't add much, that you can do just as well in a randomized setting on diet and lifestyle, that will change everything. And I think I'll be able to be answering that question in about five years. Wow. So when, that, that is, that's why I can't sleep at night. Right. This, this is so profound. So w w if we could go back in time when you first got diagnosed, did you ever imagine where we'd be today? Where'd you no. be today? And No, you know, it, and um, when I was first diagnosed, um, I was trying to be brave. I first read the literature. It was terrifying to see it was a rap, you know, progressive disease. And then it was apparent that I had a very aggressive form, you know, very rapid decline. And so in 2007, you know, I, I thought I knew exactly what was going to happen to me. Bedridden, demented, probable intractable pain. You know, my pain turns on. Uh, I, it, it is so severe, uh, involuntary grimacing, grunting, can't talk, can't walk, can't swallow, can't speak. And so in 2007, I had a very grim future ahead of me. So how did you get through that? From a mindset, well, what was, well it, was it? Was it the? Was it that exactly? Because oh, yeah. you start it, to think about like my kid. It's it's not about you anymore. It's, uh, no, it's, it's not about me. Uh, it's about my kids, uh, and the fact that my kids were watching me, and I knew that whatever I did would be the ultimate lesson that they would absorb. And so, I, I could either model that you get up and go to work no matter how difficult life is, and that yep, life is difficult. It's not fair, and you just do the best you can. Or I could make other choices that would not, that would model that when things are difficult, you give up. I love that you. I, I love the path you chose. Yes, you have, so, you have changed. <laughs> you've changed the lives of so many people, uh, and there are a lot of people listening. Who I'm sure, whether it's MS or autoimmune, and mm -hmm. you, do you have any general advice for those people? Yeah, um, my whole program is designed around uh, cellular health, cellular nutrition. Uh, and if we help you provide your cells the building blocks they need to do the, run the chemistry of life, we often discover that whatever your underlying disease is, we arrest it. And then we're often pleasantly surprised that your disease is continually regressing, whether this is an autoimmune problem or an anxiety problem, mental health problem, uh, obesity, diabetes. I, I also would... Um, let anyone who's knowing that 
there is a huge difference between doing this program 100% and doing it 95%. Mm. Now, I know in college and in high school, <laughs> if you got, got 95% on your test, that that would be probably an A. But this test is, can we stop your disease with diet and lifestyle? It's far more important than just a test. If all you want to do is lower your risk for heart disease and cancer a little bit, doing the diet 95% would do that. But if you want to stop your underlying bad disease, if you want to know could diet and lifestyle do that, run the experiment like a real scientist and actually do the experiment meticulously, carefully, uh, ideally for 100 days. And then at the end, make, draw your own conclusions. So going back to exciting projects, you have another book coming out soon. Yes. Let's talk about yeah. that. So uh, what I've gone back is I've revised uh, my original book, uh, The Walls Protocol, because one, uh, we have so much more research that I've done and it's been published and peer-reviewed. Uh, and then I needed to go back and uh, correct the things that I've learned and I would now do differently uh, in the original book. Uh, we, we talk a lot more about uh, the various strategies that you have to get into ketosis, that it's not just a high-fat diet, but there are uh, many different ways that we can nuance that, uh, provide a little more specific guidance to the vegetarians and vegans. Uh, I talk to my carnivore friends about how, how uh, we can optimize what they're doing as well. Uh, and there, you know, we didn't mention it, but there's a, a lot more research on um, neurorehab uh, in the use of electrical stimulation, because I was the first one to write about that, and so I, I update that research, and I'm even more bullish and excited about that. Uh, and then uh, we spend a, a lot of time uh, discussing the the struggle that people have uh, in terms of what to do. Uh, it sometimes comes down to um, what is that internal struggle? What is mm -hmm. the mindset? Why do they want to go on this journey? And why? what's keeping them from doing the experiment at 100%? Why are they only doing it at 50% and saying it doesn't work? When you know they knew full well if they had ever taken an exam at 50%, they would have gotten a, an F. I love it, Terry. Thank you so much. You're an inspiration to all of us. Everyone, go check out everything Terry does. And if you know <laughs> anyone struggling with autoimmune or MS, you know, please check out the Walls Protocol. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.